Welcome to the Extra Podcast. This is episode number 275. I am your host for this episode. My name's Greg. Joining me around the table is Pastor Paul. Hey, Greg. Pastor Jonathan Giesbrecht. Hello. And to my right, from the burbs of Bellingham to the burbs of Abbotsford. All right, that's enough. Okay. I, pa- Pastor Jeff's here too. I don't think I've ever lived in the burbs of Bellingham. <laughs> <laughs> How should I have done that? What oh, would have been a right? I think Seattle. I live in the suburbs oh. of Seattle. Hey, but Seattle doesn't do again? Once again, by that introduction, you have proofs that you are the host with the most. Thank you. You mm. like that? That was pretty good, though. <laughs> did you like what I did there? The burbs of the rhyme Burlington. <laughs> no, never, never lived in burbs Burlington. by the Bell's Fair. Never, never lived by <laughs> Bell's Fair either. That's okay. The, all right. Nice try, Greg. Did you even introduce him? Did you even? Yeah, say no, his I name? did. Oh, you didn't even hear it. it. Yeah, after all that, I did. Okay, good. Hey, why doesn't Darcy host this anymore? That's my real question. Well, Wheaton Chaff, boys, Wheaton Chaff. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Darcy today and I said, you should host this thing again. And he gave me kind of a blank stare. He doesn't want to come out of retirement, out of podcast retirement? No. I said he could be like the Cito Gaston of the podcast. You know, <laughs> record the podcast for a while and then stop and then come back for one last little ditch effort. And Was then that, is that a, that's a Blue Jays reference. You like that? We should revisit the fact that the last time we, I, the last time the podcast happened... I talked about my my uh, dislike of the of the Blue Jays, which has now become extreme dislike. And you oh. said that they were not going to make it. No, I did. out of the That's wild exactly card. What I said. And then if they won the wild yes. card, Texas would probably beat them. But if they beat them, they'd play Boston. Yeah, I basically and at, all right those, at every point. And <laughs> when's the end of the world going to happen, Jeff? <laughs> you know what's funny about this? When's is the that, end of the time? When, when's it going to be? Hold on. What's fu- what's funny about this is that people oftentimes when they talk to me and they hear me talk about. Uh, They've, you know, how all my teams lose. And they're like, well, surely not all their teams. Lo-. Look, this is a case in point. I'm telling you that no matter, no matter who it is that I cheer for, it will do the opposite thing. Okay. So you aren't exactly placing so bets down in them, uh, Vegas. Them, them Cleveland no. Indians, right? You love no. them, right? <laughs> well, love, no. Love them. You know what? Because you're being a turd about it. I, I like the Blue Jays now. Oh, no. Say go, it so. Go Blue Jays. Oh, let's, hear no. some more, let's hear some more archaic references to Cito Gaston. <laughs> go ahead, Greg. How about <laughs> Buck Martinez? What does that name do for you there? Yep, great commentary. I love yeah. his commentary. It's all monosyllabic. It's awesome. He used to be a Blue Jay player and manager. I imagine he, I imagine he was. Do you know who Kelly it's, Gruber is? Uh, I know the name, but I don't know. He played third really base was. when they won their World Series. You don't like that I brought up Cito Gaston? That's no, I just think it's funny. I think it's that's back in their heyday. Yeah. Yeah. Again, though, all those listeners out there, I w- what I'd like to understand is how people in Western Canada are supposed to, che- why are you cheering for this team? Like all I ever hear here in BC is how much Toronto's like a waste of time. That's whenever I, I say to people, it's oh, about Toronto, it's, it's always a negative thing. Yep. The Maple Leafs are, are ridiculous. We don't like them at all. We don't like anything having to do with Toronto. But when it comes to the Blue Jays, people say, oh, it's Canada's team. Yeah. No, no, no. Same with Canada's the Raptors. team is Canada. They did the same thing with the Raptors. But the Raptors aren't Canada's team either. It's a marketing ploy. Yeah. And if you, it's if brilliant. You, why? It's worked. I understand. If we you're, the North. I understand that if you, if you had... Portland's like, more North. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. They aren't the most northern team in the. <laughs> I understand if you if you have the. It, I understand if you have the if you've had like your life went across 1992 and 93 when when they were really good and that like consolidated it for you. I get that, 
But like you young boys here, you have no reason to like this team. I'm not a Blue Jays fan. It's like it's like me being a. You don't have to throw me under the bus. It's like me being a Detroit Tigers fan. No, but you know what? You know why would I be a Detroit Tigers fan? I think the biggest reason that there is a following out here is availability. I remember going home from yeah, it was always on TV. That makes sense. Every time I went home from work, I got home around four thirty. The Blue Jays game was in the second or third inning. I'd go home, take a nap, wake up in the eighth or ninth inning, watch a couple innings, and it was always on. So I always knew. The Blue Jays, even if I didn't love them, even if they were a, yeah. a it's like to you talk nap. to any hockey fan, Canadian hockey fan who's yeah. sixty years old or up. They're either the Canadians yeah. or the Leafs. Availability. I, yeah. I do that a lot. It's Ron. Talk to those kinds of fans. That's those Ron Friesen, sixty-five-year-old yep. uh, hockey fans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, I don't. Why not? And I think that's why the Rough Riders <laughs> are so big in Saskatchewan. It's like that's the only thing in Saskatchewan you can watch. That's. Is it professional? Is the yep. CFL really professional? Oh my gosh! I would just like everyone to know that that's uh, you can you can write him at jgeesbrecht oh at northview.org. Oh. If you're from Saskatoon and you think that what he just said was demeaning to most of the middle of this Regina, country, that, that's I would like you to said, know that Jonathan Giesbrecht does not respect you. <laughs> I have in-laws in Saskatchewan. I have to be careful. Well, you clearly weren't. <laughs> Apparently. Now well, go Blue Jays is all I gotta say. Oh boy. I think it's gonna. I think I think they are the most deserving team for the World Series this year. Great, we the North. <laughs> Sweet. As long as you don't start cheering for Liverpool, that's all I care about. Just stay away from Liverpool. John, you are you're back. You're back in the at the table. Yeah, the podcast table by unpopular demand. Wait, I, I got to say this before I keep going. Bishmoo's in the booth, giving hey, us some producing credits. So thank you, Brian, for being here. Um, so John, we wanted this is what part three, part three of our conversation on worship music and the church. Yeah, this horse is mutilated. So is, we are it is dead. We are. This is that was quite the image. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna try to f- wrap a bow on this conversation, and we brought in Jonathan Giesbrecht. To help us do that along with... That's going to go over well. Pastor Jeff from the Burbs in Bellingham Short, by quick, Bell's Fair. Quick story about bow wrapping. Oh, dear. Uh, so one one Christmas, I... Is I that be- why you started laughing when I said bow wrapping? Yeah. So one Christmas, I I didn't have a job uh, when I was in high school, and I needed... I was playing sports, and so but I had a period around Christmas time that I needed a job, and so I went to Nordstrom's. I said, you guys want to hire me? Nordstrom, the high-end... Mm-hmm. So, um, I ended up having to wrap gifts for Nordstrom and like you, you had to learn how to tie bows cause they had the boxes. You had to construct the little boxes. You put yep. the stuff in there, you wrapped it in the, in the, in the little, uh, tissue paper and then, and then you constructed the bows and I was like, Oh my, okay. This is a free service that they give or mm-hmm. something like that for, so during the Christmas season, they, they, they put me in the men's tie sort of department which made sense okay because i'm a real tie wearer but anyway i'm there and i'm wrapping the bows and one day this this woman from the other side of the store came running over and said it's an emergency you need to come over to the to the women's intimate section so that you can do the wrapping because we don't have anybody and there's this line of like 30 people and i spent the next four hours of my life wrapping lingerie for a bunch of men who are buying it for Christmas for their spouse or not spouse or whatever. And I, I have never spent so much time avoiding eye contact with other people in my life. That's <laughs> yeah. a good story. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> so are you pretty good at wrapping gifts? Well, I was really good at making the bows. 
<laughs> but no, I'm like, ask my wife about the gift wrapping. I've gotten to the point with the gift wrapping that when you have the paper, I don't, she has this way of folding it to make the neat corners, yeah. kind of like a nurse does the hospital bed there. Now, my approach to this is just, I, I roll it tape. up and crinkle it, and I ta- yeah. I wrap the tape around it as much as no. I can. But, but guys, isn't this isn't the, wrapping gifts something that we don't no. really want to be good at? So that when the time comes around, they're just like, you know what? Don't bother helping. Yeah. Like, just just leave the room. And, no, Kate, and we're like, yes. This is. I don't. I don't <laughs> know why. You're watching the game. I don't. I don't <laughs> yeah. know why more, more with, guys don't more go tape. to gift bags. Like the bags, all you got to do is crunch up a bunch of colorful paper and throw it on top. Great. It's brilliant. I don't even do, you, do that right. Do you? Oh, is there a right and wrong? Jonathan, thing? Yeah. do you bring oh. when you go to like a friend's uh, house or something, and you bring a gift, like mm-hmm. a friend, you're going to bring some food? Do you put it in a gift bag? Like you're going to go over to your buddy's house, you're going to watch the game, no, something see, like that. See, you're, I'm you're not gonna talking. Bring, you're going to bring some cheese with us with you. Do you put I'm, that baby I'm in the bag? I'm talking for for like your spouse. Look what I got for you. It, it, it it's colorful and it looks nice. Oh, Kyle Meeker last Christmas places. gave me a Velveeta and some uh, Rotel. Rotel in a gift bag. And I think he put it in a gift yeah. bag for yeah. me. Yeah, why yeah. not? Yeah. Brilliant. Did you get the same thing as me? Yeah. What? What? Did you get that, Jeff? Kyle. Yeah, I think he bought it for everybody. I didn't get what? one. Oh, Kyle. Not everybody. Well, I mean. So here's my question. I want I want us to put an end. <laughs> a bow. To the worship and the local church conversation for this season of the podcast life because I I mean unless you guys want to talk about unless there's like a bombard of emails again that's right so John you actually right. speaking of bombard of emails you got a lot of them well a bombard is a lot so what excessive, but, how yeah. would you synthesize the majority of the emails that you got sure push back on what you've said in the past yeah no I yeah got yeah you want to talk about a way to get emails you talk about worship but <laughs> But uh, no, it, it was, I got a lot of really good, uh, good responses back by good. I don't mean like encouraging what you're right, more like good challenging. Mm. Um, I think the, the number one response I heard back regarding using the boyfriend image. So we, a couple weeks ago, we talked about Jesus and how a lot of our worship songs make him seem like a boyfriend or we treat him like a, a like our relationship is a romance. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the responses I got basically are, are what we came to the conclusion a couple weeks ago if we came to a conclusion was that it's not really a biblical way to talk about the relationship between, um, us and, and God and Jesus. Like we don't talk about him as a boyfriend. So a lot of the emails I got, um, they, they were really, really, uh, well thought through and stuff. And, and, and they asked, what do you do, um, with the image of the bride of Christ? That's a really fair question. Even even in the Old Testament, it, the Israel is is referred to as the adulterer, mm-hmm. like we've cheated on God. There's a there's an implication that there's some sort of there's a kind of a relationship that's using that romantic image to describe the relationship between God and His people. So romantic. Well, there is it. it there, no, that's my question. The relationship, is that, is that, the relationship that, that, that a, a bride and a groom have right. is is but the romantic. Of, yeah, no, but the language of adultery is one that has to do with commitment. It has to do with covenant obligation. Yes, mm-hmm. but but that's why it's an appropriate to, image for Israel and God. Yep, in that they were involved in a covenant in the same way that a, a married couple mm-hmm. is involved in a covenant. Mm-hmm. So if you want to understand God's emotions yeah. toward his bride, toward his covenant partner. Yes. When the, when she turns her back on him and goes and serves another god, yeah. the image that 
God pulls out for that is you, you have cheated on me. To be fair, you can see where that's not a romantic. No, but you can see where in our lens, when we look at that, if you just look at it at face value, a bride adulterer, you can see, you could deduce that, oh, there's, there's a romantic implication here. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying is that you, that, that modern Westerners are reading Mm -hmm. that aspect into the image. Yes. And yep. I'm saying the image, what didn't mean that in the Old Testament, it doesn't mean it in, in, in uh, James 4, mm-hmm. where he, James calls them you adulterous people, right? The church in that case, and it's certainly not the implication, the romance yeah. is not the idea behind uh, Ephesians 5, which is one of the chief texts that has to, that plays on this image, where Christ and the church are equated to a husband and his wife. Mm-hmm. The authors have intent in an intent Wherever they write these things, wherever it is that this, the, these images are employed, the author has an intent with the image. The image must be used according to the author's intent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the risk that you take if you don't do that is you end up making God into something that's, that's different. So the husband and wife image here, you're, in, you're at risk here in bringing sexual imagery into this and, and romantic language into this when, when that's not the intent of the author. Mm-hmm. And... And it ends up skewing, I think, the relationship between God and His bride. Does that mean, I hope you understand yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah, no, I agree. So I I'm agree. just, I'm just raising the like. I don't think it's raising. I don't, I don't think somebody who brought in. I didn't get an email like this, but yeah. it, who says, "Oh, it's a romantic thing." Well, no, it's not. It's not romantic. That's okay. not the intent. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think the reality is, is that even if, even if you could somehow make an argument that it was. Even if that was the case, the bride is not you, and the adulterer is not you, singular. It's always a group of people. So even if you, even if you could, which you're arguing is you, that's an improper way of taking that image. Even if you did take that image, it's not about Jesus, lover of my soul, me. Jesus loves me. But he and does love Jesus. Rom- yes, but Jesus romances me. That it's that I just I have a problem with that. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So he's saying it's a corporate image, which it is, of course. Yeah. I mean, it's used of Israel and it's used of the church. Yeah. And so the, the language, but even there, I, I still want to stress, it's, it has to do with covenant obligations. It has yes. to do with covenant. God, God has pinned himself in a covenant ceremony, right? I mean, mm-hmm. to, to Abraham's offspring, yeah. okay, who are, who are now the people of faith. Mm-hmm. Okay, I just did a whole lot of Bible connecting there. If you follow all all that line. So he made a covenant with Abraham. That covenant was with the people of Israel. And Paul comes along in Romans, for example, and argues, actually, the true people of Israel are the, the true children of Abraham who have the covenant with God are the ones who express faith in Christ. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're the true Israel. And so now those who are gathered together underneath uh, the grace of God ex- who, and express their love for Christ in their, through their faith, they are the ones who are God's bride yeah. in, in that regard. Yep. But it's a covenant term. Yep. Yeah. Agreed. Fully agreed. Right. And where the, where the word bride is actually used in the, in the New Testament, I mean, the, the chief spot where it's actually used for talking about God's people is in Revelation 22, where it's talking about where um, John's writing and, he's, and the angel who's speaking with says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away 
in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. And he goes on, and, and this is a description of, of this, this heavenly city Jerusalem is actually the church coming down. Mm-hmm. And, and that is the bride of Christ. So there you have the corporate yeah. image, not the, yeah. not the individual and image of the, a bride. Even though where, where, yeah. so that I think this again just shows the idea that it's not a romantic well, thing. When this, the Bible talks about the bride, we yeah. brought this up a couple of weeks ago about the about the fact that in the West, for whatever reason, in in our over sexualized culture, we have a difficult time using the word love or intimate, mm-hmm. and not meaning sex. Yeah, yeah. and I, I got to tell you that I don't. I think you can because so if I say I have an intimate relationship with God, that in the Western society today conveys. A sec, like some kind of erotic thing, mm-hmm. and that's that's not true, right? <laughs> like you can have an intimate relationship with somebody and not have sex with them, right? Right? I my children totally. I have an intimate relationship. Yes. I don't have sex with them, and and uh, I have intimate relationships with my mother, mm-hmm. and intimate relationships with my friends. Yes, but for whatever reason, that when that hits the modern ear, we have to add. Mm eros to it we yeah. have to add an erotic love to it and that's that's yeah. part of the part of the problem with the with the music yeah. that we're pointing out i'm trying to point out is that you, it's it's erotic that we, we're trying to think oh what kind of language can i use to express the love that i have for god or god has for me mm-hmm. and so we we do, we end up employing some quasi erotic language to do it mm-hmm. because it's the it's the best in our culture that we can do. Exactly. My we think that's the height. Guys. Yeah, yeah, we yeah. assume that that's the height of love. Right. But my, my point is that I think yeah. that that says more about our culture than yeah. it does about yeah. what God says about his love. Yeah, or, right. yeah. yeah. Even there, what you, when, sorry, when you were reading in Revelation, uh-huh. it, the, referring to the church being the bride, yeah. most of the imagery there has to do with like the beauty and purity. Yes. Of more God. than the sexuality, uh, uh, like do you know what I mean? Right. Like, well, and, the bride it, and it's the bride like showing the glory of God. The glory so of that's, God, exactly. Yeah. That's God, um, like the imputed righteousness of Christ. Yeah. Actually, it's very on little, the church. Yeah, very little in that. That's about yeah. romance or anything like that. Yeah. It's using the bride to describe purity. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Anyway, all that to say is it, this is a really a really big topic, and it's a very sensitive topic for a lot of people. I wish it wasn't as sensitive. As it is, I, I feel that people, when it comes to a, a false teacher or people who teach things poorly, what? we have no false problem. Teacher. We have no problem ripping them apart. Mm. They mm. said this. How dare they? But as soon as you write it in a song, it's like, oh, well, how dare you touch their expression? Right. Like, our, you don't know their heart, Jeffrey. I know. But you don't know a false teacher's heart either, Jeffrey. Right. Yeah. But for whatever reason, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's just the fact that That's music charges us emotionally or something, but we're very sensitive on our music. It feels like it, it, it feels outside the realm of truth. Exactly. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. when we're dealing with doctrine, we're mm-hmm. dealing in the realm of truth. And this, yeah. this seems, but music is subjective. Somehow. This seems to be more value based. Yeah. I mean, more like it, it's more like, hey, the, the feeling I get about or, or sorry, what what choice of ice cream I want or whatever. I, it just feels like it's more of a. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's more of an opinion thing when yeah. you come to music. The problem is, like, you would never get away with this with a teacher, because I could go to name your false. I could go to you know, mm. Joel Osteen and say he makes me feel really good. Yeah, is that because and that's the amount of that's oftentimes the amount of discretion that we've approached our music but, with. But should How we it makes approach? Us feel. Okay, but should we approach? I'm trying to argue the 
What do you, other viewpoint? Should we approach a poetic genre like music in the same way that we would approach interpreting a a discourse of theological import, something like that, some theological discourse? Is propositional statement like, and poetic expression on equal footing when it comes to engaging the claims that they make? I guess you could you could look at. So if we think of, um, I know we talked about Jamie Grace a couple of times we, about her songs. If you look at the lyrics, when you have the, and when you have the tone of it and the kind of the poppy kind of pop music kind of sound to it, it, it makes you think, oh, this is like a girl singing to her boyfriend. But when you read, if you read the lyrics, if you were to actually put that in a different genre, if you were to turn that into like a, a more classical form of, of music than just what pop music is, you might not actually walk away that thinking that. Hmm. You because probably her, won't. <laughs> because her, her words like saying like, I love the way you hold me. We don't have a problem saying that God holds us. God hmm. does hold us yeah. in his hand. Right. So there are, I think there's a, there's a mixture when you get into the whole poetic thing and, and it's the, not just the words, mm. but it's the, when you get to music, it's the, the music behind it too, that yeah. helps in that thought, the thought process that we have. Yeah. Over I'm it. just saying that interpretation of different genres requires a different kind of approach. Yeah. And I, I do think, but it doesn't give you free reign to say whatever you want. I that's to- my, that's my issue. I, I totally mean, you're, you're probably right. I think there should be a little bit more right. freedom of expression and creativity in music, but it doesn't give you a license to just verbal diarrhea, anything you want and any feeling you want into a song. True. It's just, yeah. Partially because what we sing is what we end up believing. Right. Yeah. 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 So there, so there is, it is careful, but I, I it is a little bit more nuanced though than, than us comparing yeah. it just apples to apples to yes. yeah. Yeah. teaching. Anyway, yeah. all that to say is I, I'm, I assume we're probably still going to have people who are upset after this podcast and Jonathan, I'm upset with you. I, well, yes, I know. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess, I guess my, my, my heart, my biggest desire is for people to just, I, we have a very discerning body of believers here. I, 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 I talk to people there, you know, we're, we're taught well from the pulpit. People are given good tools to discern well. I just want to see those tools employed in music. I, I really do. And I, there is the bow. Yeah, I'm, I'm good at wrapping bows. We have put on it in the gift bag for Jonathan to take gift away. Gift bags. And yeah. I'm now walking away, not making eye contact with him. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nope. All right, Greg, what else you got for us? What else I got? Good question. Let me go to, I was so tempted to play the Jamie Grace song and Jeff yeah. kept telling me no, <laughs> Greg, no. So now I have to go back to the question here. It's, uh, okay, here's the next question. You guys ready for this? Yep. Uh, what is the difference between temptation, which mm-hmm. the scriptures tell us is not from God, mm-hmm. and discipline, which the Bible tells us is of God? What if dealing with your sin and resisting temptation is the Lord disciplining you? So this listener is trying to understand how Hebrews talks about how the Lord will discipline us, and by that disciplining will sanctify us, Hebrews 12, 5 through 11, and yet and James, the language is that uh, no one ought to say that they are being tempted by God. So this listener is trying to make sense of, okay, how, how is it, how are those both true if what we experience in our lives feels like a temptation, but it might be the means through which God disciplines us? How, how do we, 
makes sense there. Is there a is there a conflict? Is it just kind of an a perspective thing? How how would you help this listener try to engage with those ideas? Hmm. That I mean, it, I think it's a very good question, and I think that's a tough one. It, it is a tough one to wrestle with, honestly. Um, when we look at in the scriptures about temptation. Uh, we have scriptures that tell us that God isn't the one to tempt us. To sin. Right. To tempt. Tempt us to sin. Tempt us to sin. Yeah. Tempt us yeah. to sin, yes. Yeah. Um, and and that the devil is the but, one But who, we have uh, James 1, for example. Oh, so yeah. in, in the book of James, for example, you get two two statements. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, in the book of James, you have, uh, is it, I want to say James 4 is where it talks about, or am I right? James one thirteen is about not two. being tempted. There you go, James one thirteen. So even in the same chapter, here we go. James 1, 13, um, it says, uh, I'll read verse 12, uh, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So I want you to see though, that this belief that God tests you, right? Mm-hmm. So we, we agree with that. Yeah. And then verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, with I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, mm. and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. The mm-hmm. desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin, and sin when it is fully grown brings forth death. My point mm-hmm. is that in the immediate context here, you have a clear statement mm-hmm. saying that there is a difference between the tempting to sin, okay, which is what happens inside of you. Mm-hmm. God doesn't tempt you to sin, mm-hmm. but God tests you. So, okay, there. James isn't crazy. He's not schizophrenic. He didn't start with one thing and say, test. Oh yeah, by the way, when you're tested by God, which when you're tested, it's not by God, even though I just said it was. Mm. So there's a, there has to be a distinction that we make ultimately between being tempted, being tempted to sin. Okay. Which is something that God's not doing. And God testing your faith. Mm. In fact, at the beginning of James 1, you, that's what you have. Count it all joy, verse 2. My brothers, when you meet trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Mm. So, so what is it that we say is from God? Well, the testing of your faith is. Right. Okay? And what does God use to test your faith? All sorts of stuff. Various trials is the language that you get there. Yeah. Does he tempt you? No, you are tempted, as it says here. Uh, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Mm-hmm. Then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. God is not, God is not causing your heart to turn away from him. Right. Right? But you might be in a situation that he's placed you in that elicits that feeling. Do you understand what I mean? Totally. So you might be in a situation uh, where uh, unbelief is something that you want that, that you start to want to go toward. Right. Because, uh, because, you know, you might be thrust by God in his providence into a setting, say at a university campus where everybody around you doesn't believe in God anymore. And you have to stand, stand fast Mm -hmm. and you should count it joy because the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Yeah. So God is testing your faith there, but the temptation to unbelief is what's going on in your heart because you, you want to be liked by all your friends. Hmm. Right. Yeah. And that that desire to enthrone them and their opinions and to throne yourself and your standing before them, mm. that's not from God. Right. 
And that kind of test could happen at a high school uh, in Abbotsford or an elementary school in Abbotsford or at your workplace where the people that you work with uh, ridicule you for going to church. The, uh, I experienced this when I, when I used to work at TELUS. It was constant jokes about church boy and, and things like this. So there, there are lots of times where you can be placed in situations where uh, it is tempting to not stand up for your faith or, or to just go along with the crowd because that's the easy thing to do. And that's, that's, the, temp- that's the temptation but being in that, that's your feeling in that situation is the temptation that you're getting that was, right. could take you down the wrong path. Mm-hmm. I, th- yeah. I think what James is doing in that passage, instead of lifting that out of its context and taking, making it into a principle of all things, I, what I'm saying is I think what James is doing there is he's, talk, he's trying to dis- dissect or, do you guys ever do that with frogs when you were in biology <laughs> class? Yeah. You open them up to see how their inner workings are going on there. Uh, that's what I think he's doing. He's, I think he's dissecting temptation. He's saying, actually, what's going on when you say you're tempted mm. isn't God tempting you. It's actually you being tempted by your own sinful lusts. Mm-hmm. Okay? Right. So when we pray, and Jonathan just showed mm-hmm. me, a, when you say pray in the Lord's Prayer, lead us not into temptation, what is being said there? I, I think what's being said in that context is, don't, l- Lord, keep me away from situations where I will be tempted yeah. that way. Mm-hmm. Okay? But I'm saying that... that uh, Matthew, for example, in that, in that instance, in Matthew 7, he has a right. It's Matthew 7, right? I think I it think is. So. Anyway, Lord's Prayer. Anyway, I think Matthew has a right to use that language differently than six. James. Matthew 6. Matthew 6. And that's, that's what I'm suggesting, is that James actually, in the context, identifies what he's doing here. Yeah. And so understand how James is using the language. Understand how Matthew is using the language. Is it right for us to, it's right for us to say that actually the mechanics of temptation are such that you're tempted by what's going on inside, like the, your sinful impulses inside of you yeah. and that God will at times put you in situations where that happens. But when we pray to God, we're praying either that he deliver us from that situation or deliver us from that impulse in our heart. Yeah. At least that's my best go at an answer at this present moment. And I hope people who listen, the other thing is that I hope one of the things that people hear me doing, it's just like I have, I feel like a one trick pony here at Northview for 10 years. And it's the same thing. I I really do believe that most of the false teaching in the church, and by that I don't, I I don't mean just heretical false teaching. I mean like misguided notions and stuff. Most, most of the false teaching and false teachings in the church can be done away with by just simple uh, contextual reading of your Bible. Mm-hmm. It's it's actually not difficult. So when someone cites someone cites a passage of scripture, if you can get in the habit of just saying, "Well, before we like make conclusions mm. based upon that premise, can we go back to the premise and and w- if you're using the text right and yes. understanding it in its context, then I'm happy to go with the next premise, right? Like yeah. what's what's the conclusion then from the premise? But oftentimes people say, "You know, the Bible says this." Whenever you hear the Bible says this, well, there's a context to the this. Mm-hmm. It would be nice to understand what the context is first before yeah. you make some big pronouncements or end up not believing in God because you say, well, the Bible contradicts itself. Well, no, it doesn't. It's a collection of books inspired by God, written by authors who had intentions in their particular context, right? Yes. So, Jeff, this past weekend, uh, we were originally scheduled to preach Romans chapter one, verses 18 through 32. So for people who have like a sermon note taker booklet, that's the passage that would be on for this weekend. And, but we only did 18 to 23 
and then we're going to be doing 24 and finishing the rest of the chapter this yep. week coming up. So what's the motivation for making that kind of a change from the original? Your laziness. <laughs> <laughs> you coming wow. to me and saying, I can't it's do too it all. Much. It's too hard. I need more time. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's actually, in all honesty, part of it but was because that we wanted to address some of the, the thing about Romans that's so cool is that it, it's, it is so provocative mm. theologically. Okay. And that, that's one of the points, one of the reasons why we wanted to, we, we want to make sure we give time in the particular locations in the book that actually deal with some of the theological questions that are arise and the apologetic questions that arise in our culture. And in the church, we wanted to give t- we want to give time to focus a little bit on them. So this week, for example, Greg, you at the, at the Abbotsford campus got into the got into some of the apologetics about what about those who've never heard that 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 is a huge question in the minds of people who don't believe in Jesus, but also in the minds of lots and lots of Christians. Mm-hmm. Like, what do we do with the fa- with a Buddhist who is living in Bangkok? Or the, 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 the tribesman who's out in uh, South America somewhere who is basically an, is an animist. Hmm. What, what do we say about that person? It, are they saved if they respond rightly, whatever that means, to the revelation in front of them? Does anyone do that? Do, do you see what I mean? And so when Paul comes in, he says that the wrath of God is being revealed against all unrighteousness and wickedness of men, right? Who suppress the truth in, unwi- in, in their unrighteousness. For what is true about God is plain to them in what, because it, we can see it can be seen in what is made. And so ultimately Paul's answering the question by saying there is no such thing as someone who's never heard about God enough for their response, their failed response to condemn them. You understand what I mean? Yeah. That, right. Yeah. So they have enough, they have enough to respond to God and they all, that's his argument here. They all reject him in favor of idolatry. The thing that should be going off in your head is not pushing back again. Well, not pushing back so much against that idea as saying, yeah, but what about all the good people in the world? Right? Mm. All the people with like morality, like Jews or really moral, like non-Jews, like really, really moral, moral people who obey the rules that they have. And, you know, they have the Noble Eightfold Path and they do the five pillars of Islam, Noble Eightfold Path, Buddhism, right? Mm -hmm. What about those guys? Because that's where he wants to set you up (laughs) into for Romans two and Romans two is going to basically an assault on those, on those people, Mm. all the nice people. Which is why I think, Greg, you, you, you had mentioned to me earlier this morning that some people had responded to your sermon by saying, by asking questions basically along those lines, right? Yeah, but what about all of the good people who are responding so rightly? Which there are none, because none of them do respond rightly. But yeah, but what about all the good people whose like religious traditions are really nice and they speak of peace and they're doing their best and that sort of stuff? Real moral, moral people. Like, Paul's got you right where he wants you <laughs> at that point. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh, okay. I got another chapter for you. That's good. Hey, I have a note. You want to say something? No, I just along those lines, um, all, all other religions are man-made religions and all man-made religions are looking to earn your way to God. So how, how in the world in a man-made religion could you? They're self-justifying and in so, in, in so doing, okay, they are idolatrous. Yes. 
because essentially what you're saying is I, I don't need to worship another. I need to worship me because if I end up being able to earn myself to it, I can point to myself and say, I did it right. And yeah. all glory goes to me, to me. So I'm a created thing and therefore I am the, I'm the one who needs to be worshiped. I'm here in heaven, in the heavenlies on my planet with my 70 wives, whatever I'm here because I did it. Yeah. Right. Which is why it's idolatry. Exactly. In the end. Yeah. Paul's just to give away Paul's argument in Romans two. He's basically going to say, okay, fine. You guys have laws. And you say you keep them, whether you're Jewish or a really moral Gentile. Great. Let's just, okay, we'll stack your laws up and let's just do, let's just do the little, uh, you know, the box checking thing. We'll just one by one, we'll go down and see whether or not you kept them. Right. So if you have the written law of God, let's see how well you've done. How you doing? And every Jew's like, well, then he turns his attention to attention to the moral Gentile. And he says to the moral Gentile, look, uh, so so, yeah, you say you don't have the law of God. Well, I didn't have the law of God, so I'm not responsible for that. I'm, but you're a good moral, you know, noble eightfold path Buddhist, whatever. Fine. Let's just use whatever it is that you establish as the law and let's see whether or not you're not you're a hypocrite with it or not. Right. And his answer in the end is you're all hypocrites. Everybody doesn't keep the law they have. Doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. So even though you decry the immorality that's listed in Romans 1, mm. uh with its homosexual desire and mm-hmm. acts and all that kind of stuff. You yeah. decry that and you say, well, that's no, no, I'm not like that. Actually you are, you're just as guilty as them because you haven't responded to God and the revelation you have yeah. any more than they have. We're all, we're all done. <laughs> nice. Well, as a, as a wrap up to this episode, number 275, catch that wrap up no? uh, you guys remember Andy Pastor Andy he does apologetics ministry he wrote a book oh the guy who wrote the book yeah yeah, yeah. so Andy Thinking? just just uh, 20, 20 no 30 minutes ago now mm. posted on Facebook met up with my good mate Andy Bannister in Scotland his new home we talked apologetics over a plate of haggis haggis, haggis. have you guys ever had haggis no, but apparently Andy Steiger it's, has. It's quite good. Andy and the told texture us, is a little weird, but it's and, quite good. Andy said a video is coming soon, so maybe in the next podcast we'll have a little clip of the the video. Jeff is giving Jonathan the stink get, eye for yeah, his I'm comments about Haggis. <laughs> I don't. My so what? I I just want everyone to be clear on this. You hate worship music. That's it. You love the Blue Jays. Well, and, and you love Haggis. Well, so wow. I just want everyone to know. This is the kind of person we're dealing with. Mm. That was a few jumps. Well, your love for the Blue Jays needs to be put in its proper context. I don't believe in context, Jeffrey. (laughs) Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, everyone, for your contributions. If you have an email or a a question you want to send to us, you can email it to extra at northview.org, and we will answer it when we're able to. Thanks so much for listening. I'm looking. To. I'm sorry. I paused. At some point, I paused and slowed down because did you tape your laptop? It looks like there's what? a piece of hair taped under your laptop. Where? Up here? Yeah. No, that's the. It's just this protective case that has a crack. Oh, I oh. thought. I thought you found a piece of hair on the ground and put underneath a piece of tape, and I thought yeah. that is weird. Yes, it's actually from my daughter's first hair. <laughs> that's what <laughs> I was. Kind of, okay. Yeah, well, I put right. it under. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the episode. We will see you at church on the weekend. See ya. Don't let me down.